1 Corinthians chapter number 1, if you will. And uh, we're going to continue looking here in the introduction to this book. It's, the introduction actually starts here, obviously, in verse 1 and goes down to verse number 9. So let's just read it as we're going to look at one verse today and two words in that verse. Or maybe one word, depends on how long it goes, how long we go. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And again, that's the introduction to the book, And in the introduction, not only do we find the writer, Paul, and by whose authority as the apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and we spent two weeks talking about all of that, but now we also begin here to see the direction of the book. Where is the book going to take us? What's it going to handle? What's it going to answer? And then what is the the answer to, to that direction? And What Paul's going to do now in verse number 2 is he's going to start and he's going to stress, he's going to press the position that the Corinthians have in Christ and ought to be enjoying and relishing and living in, but they are not. And he's going to do some things here for them on their behalf. Notice verse 2. Under the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Notice that Paul is going to emphasize here, they are what? They are sanctified in Christ Jesus, and they are called to be saints. And what Paul's going to emphasize here as in this verse, and then theirs and ours, and we'll end up getting that probably next time. Actually, I know we will because we're going to run out of time this morning. What Paul is going to emphasize here by saying they're sanctified in, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus and then called to be saints, and he's going to, and then down in verse 4, I thank God always, notice, on your behalf. This is something they should be thanking God for, and they're not, because they're not operating and, and, and functioning properly. So what Paul's going to begin to stress here, as we get into verse number 2, and we're going to talk about the issue about being sanctified in Christ Jesus, and the issue, hopefully, here in a little bit, called to be saints, is he's going to look, he's going to stress their standing, their eternal position in Christ Jesus. So the entire book is going to be, is going to be intended to, to get the Corinthians to align their state, their living day by day. 
in line with their standing, their position, who they are in Christ. And what you have now is you have those two words, state and standing. And that's literally what Paul's going to drive the book towards. So it's not going to be this willy-nilly correcting all bad behavior, but rather why... You never, you know, raising children, you never ask them why they did it, whatever they did. You know why they did it. They're sinners, and they're, they're, they're just rebellious. So you never ask why, okay? It's, it, you, you, and that's not what Paul's doing. Why are you doing it? He says, here's what you should be doing. And he's going to literally take their state, this is their current state, their current conduct, their current behavior, and say, listen, that what you're doing right now is not in line with who you are in Christ. And that's that positional truth, that issue of standing. And the positional truth, you see, we have a position in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an identity in Christ. We have a standing in Christ. And he doesn't just merely justify you, save you from your sins, but he comes over here and he gets you, gives us a sanctified position, a sanctified standing. And in the sight of God, that's our situation, that's our standing for eternity. He doesn't, there's not this issue of, well, you're good today and bad tomorrow, so shame, shame, shame. None of that at all. And literally how you're living your life, your current state, needs to be lined up with your standing, that eternal position that we have, that eternal identity that we have in Christ. And what Paul is going to do here is he's going to provide some direction. He's going to provide some doctrinal correction, corrective doctrine, as, as to, to what's taking place there. And he's going to give... He, he's in, <laughs> The subject of this book of reproof, bad behavior, is going to be, guys, your state, the way you're living is not in line with who you are in Christ, and you need to get it in line, and this is how you're going to do it. And when he does that, he's going to do it here, and he's already written them once. That's not in this canon of Scripture. He's going to write here, 1 Corinthians. He's going to do it in 2 Corinthians. And there's evidence of a fourth writing that isn't in Scripture. So he's, he's travailing over these guys. He's, he's laboring over them. And when he does this, and again, as we go, we're going to see it, okay? And we're literally, we're going to see the whole here of Corinthians. They're not living as who they are in Christ. They're living in carnality. They're living in the flesh. They're not living in the identity of Romans 6, 7, and 8. They're literally still living in the, their old identity of Romans 1 and 2. And, and, that, and Paul's going to come in, and he's going to, let's correct that, and here's how you do it. Uh, if, if, to think about this, come over to uh, 2 Timothy 2, just real quick here. 2 Timothy 2. There's a verse here that it, it's very, and, and it's going to be apropos, uh, critical to see when we go through um, the book of 1 Corinthians, 2 Timothy 2, look at verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patience. Now watch. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. 
That's what the Corinthians are doing. That's what you and I do when we live in the flesh. When our state doesn't match our standing, what are we doing? We're opposing ourselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, now here's the next point, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. They have to recover themselves. So when you come back into 1 Corinthians, we'll see as we go, Paul will tell them, like in chapter 5, I told you to kick the guy out and you didn't do it and now you're going to have to do it and here's, you know, you didn't do what I asked you to do before. Now when I get down there, we're going to go at it here. And again, what are they? they're not correcting themselves. And Paul's going to have to come in now and he's going to have to get on them as a dad does to a disobedient child. But when he does that, he never, ever, ever expresses or says or gives the, the, the uh, potential that the Corinthians have jeopardized or forfeited that positional standing they have in Christ. They ne he never comes in and says, because you did A, you lost all this. He never says that. He'll come in and he'll correct them. He'll come in and he'll, he'll get on them and he'll do what needs to be done. But he never threatens them. He never lays a threat out. Like 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse 9. He never expresses that the Corinthians have jeopardized or forfeited or, put, or, or, or any of their positional standing in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 9 Notice, God is faithful. Isn't that interesting? You see, the Corinthians are not faithful. They're not very faithful, and they're not being faithful. Now, there are some in the group that are, and he'll identify those. But again, Paul never says to, to the church at large there, you're going to lose your justification. You're going to lose out of your spiritual blessings because of your gross immorality. Now, we would think that he would nail them. Well, that's the law program. That's Israel's way of thinking, see. But here, Paul, in, in, when, you, when we get into this issue here of what he's going to, how he's driving the book, how he's taking the book, as he says, he never uses that kind of language of you're going to lose, you're in jeopardy, and you forfeited. Why? Because God is faithful. And when we get down into verse number 9 in, in about three weeks, <laughs> we'll, we'll uh, look at that and we'll see that. The Corinthians have not been faithful. Come back there to verse 2 now. In taking the positional truth and bringing that into their daily lives, they didn't do that. They have, they've been poor at it. Now, not everybody, but some of them have. Some of them have got on board and, and are walking and doing and living and, and rejoicing in who they are in Christ. But yet here, there's some that aren't. And what we're going to see here in verse 2 now has how that Paul has to step in for them and has to demonstrate that they are sanctified and they are saints. 
He's got to do it on their behalf. Again, verse 4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you. See, they should have been rejoicing in the grace of God, but they're not. They're over in carnality. They're over living in the flesh. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of it is, and, and you see it around us today even in the churches, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to have that attitude, so I'm going to come over here and do what I want. Because what? I know God's faithful. I'm not going to lose anything. I'm just going to go pitch my fleshly fed over here and get my way. And Paul's like, no, that's not. Now, we, now we're going to introduce some corrective doctrine. But the first issue here is that he's going to demonstrate that they are sanctified and that they need to get their state their everyday life, everyday living in, in alignment with that standing that they have. So they're sanctified, and then he says, then they're called to be saints. Now, that issue of saints, we'll say a few words here in a minute, and then we'll come back to it, is very similar to sanctified. So, but the issue is, is getting the understanding of when he says to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. That issue of being sanctified, it just simply means to be made useful. Okay? You take all the theology definitions that I, you know, and you try to boil them down to something simple because that's where I need to be (laughs) is in the simple zone. And literally it's the idea that God has set the believer apart for his own divine personal Eternal purpose and use. So spiritually sanctified. What has he done? He's come in and he's cleaned up the believer from the contamination of sin. So that now what can we be? Useful in what God's trying to accomplish and to do out there for all eternity. So when you think about being sanctified, you think about them, think about being washed, being cleansed, being sterilized, if you will. You know, how you take, the doctors take the instruments and they sterilize them to make the instruments what? Useful and able to be used. So when you think about sanctified, you're thinking about our standing. And what Paul simply is, is I want your state, your day-to-day life to match who you are in your standing. You're not doing that. And then, so here's here's the corrective doctrine. But then he says, called to be saints. And that's, that word, that that saint, that's a family name. Mr. and Mrs. Jordan. No, now you are Mr. or Mrs. Saint. And Paul talks here to the Corinthians that yes, you are sanctified, and yes, you have a standing in your state, your lifestyle needs to match that standing, but you're really a part of something bigger than what you're thinking and allowing for. You're a part of an eternal family. And to be a saint is a name that, that ca- comes with that idea of being a family. And if we're a family and we have a family identity and a name, then what do, else then do we have? We have a family lifestyle that is required to be lived. When, I was ra- when the kids were little and they would get out, I would say, Any, nobody in our family acts like that or behaves like, in our family, we don't talk like that. See? So that's what Paul's going to do in that use of the, that issue of 
called to be a saint. That's your name. And if you have that family identity, then guess what? You have a family lifestyle. You have a family way of living. And we're to live a certain way. Now, come back there to verse 9 again. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom we were called unto, now watch, the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We're called unto what? The fellowship. Fellows in a ship, we share all things in commonality here. Fellowship, we're, we're, we're a family. That unique relationship that we all have together in the body of Christ. And, and what literally, literally is going to happen, we'll get over into 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul will develop this issue of, listen, guys, you're bigger than just this little thing at at Corinth. You're a part of this big family. And because of that, guess what? We have this fellowship one with another. So when we read in 1 Corinthians 11 where they're, they're having a potluck and some are going hungry and some are getting drunk, could you imagine being at church drunk? They were. See, that's, that's, not what, that's not behavior that is what becometh saints, he says. That's not proper behavior. Well, I have a right to drink. Yeah, but you don't have a right to be stupid, see. And that's what he's going to get over in when we talk about liberty in chapter 8, 9, and 10. Yeah, you have liberty, but you also have the right to not exercise that liberty. And by the way, if you come to church drunk, you're just not thinking right. You're, th- you're very selfish, see, and that's what he's going to deal with. So back here in verse 2, sanctified and saint. <laughs> you're sanctified and you're called to be a saint, and that's going to be the direction that Paul is going to be headed in in the book of Corinthians here, at first and second, really, as he's headed in this issue of getting their the, the fact that they're sanctified, get that back lined up properly, get their life lined up with that positional truth, and then get, them, get that lifestyle of that family lined back up correctly because their lifestyle is a mess, okay? They're in gross immorality, carnal. It, it, over in chapter 3, uh, he, he, I just you, you read this and you go, man, look at that, but... But God is what? He's faithful. And it's the grace of God that allows for this. 3.1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able to bear it. So you weren't able when I first got there and talked to you, and now you still can't get there, for ye are yet carnal. For as there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? And that's just after he's talked to them about the, 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 the four different men and everything and the natural man, the spiritual man, all that. All that. And he goes, I want to take you forward, but I can't because you're still sitting over here living in your flesh. And your flesh stinks. So knock it off and let's get going. And again, he never uses, he never threatens them that they're going to lose their standing. He just says, your standing's not lining up. Let's get it lined up. So when you think about that issue of sanctification, they are sanctified. And if you think about the Corinthians being sanctified, cleaned, cleansed, cleaned up, washed, holy, it's really something that I think we need to spend a, 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 few, a little bit of time and really kind of consider here because 
God calls them sanctified. Verse 2, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. You see, they're called that. And by the way, they're called sanctified, they're called saints, not because of their behavior, see, not because of their bad words or, you know, words or deeds or thoughts. They're called that because where are they? In Christ, see? And God's perspective, God hates sin. I mean, he sent his son to die on the cross. <laughs> That's how much he hates sin. But yet when he looks at you and I, when he looks at the Corinthian believers, what does he see? Well, he sees a sanctified saint. Doing what? Living poorly. That thing in Ephesians where it talks about grieve not the Holy Spirit. What are you doing living poorly? You're grieving the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you're not living in line with what that word says how you're supposed to be living. You're into stuff that you should never be into. So God's perspective and really of you is because you're in Christ then guess what? You're, you're declared sanctified. You're declared to be a saint. This is who you are. This is what you are. Because you are where? In Christ. Okay? And that's what Paul's driving home with the Corinthians is, listen, guys, you guys, you guys have missed what the first eight chapters of Romans is all about. You've missed it. You got your justification down, but you missed the impact of that on the identity and how you're supposed to be living life. Come over to chapter 3. We read this verse here just a minute ago. And again, Paul, I'm going I'm to stress it because I know what happens when you get into this stuff. People say, how can that guy who's on death row be a saint and be a believer and go to heaven when he, how could Hitler make it to heaven? Well, how do you know Hitler's not in heaven? How do you get to heaven? Just by believing the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you, would you be shocked if you got there and Hitler was sitting there? Why would you be shocked? The only reason he's sitting there is he had saving faith. Now, I don't think Hitler did. Well, I'm just using him as an illustration. Because what happens is, is, oh, man, God can't do that. Then God's a liar. Because what did he say in Romans 3? It's upon all and unto all them that what? Believe. Well, if Hitler or someone like Hitler, I think about Mussolini, you know, Someone like believe that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again, even though they go out and commit the tremendous, horrendous acts that they do, they're still a what? A saint. See? They just never came to the knowledge of the truth. See? And what happens is people get, oh, that just can't be. But yes, it is because God is faithful. So again, Paul, he's never going, his statement is, is this is who you are. And he never lays a thread out of them losing this standing position of who they are. There's no, <laughs> if you think about it, there, there is condemnation, Romans 8, when you walk in the flesh and not in the spirit. But Romans 8 is not, by the way, that's not eternal security. Your eternal security is in chapter 5. But if you... You're going to reap what you sow. So if you sow after the flesh, what are you going to reap? Galatians 6, corruption. But if I sow in the Spirit, I'll reap life everlasting. 
You ever wonder why, you, why things all, don't... All, you ever wonder why bad things happen to you from time to time? I do. <laughs> and then I go back and I look at the event and I try to trace back how did I get there and then I realize back over here I made a bad decision somewhere. Well, then how did that happen? Well, because I did this, that happened. So let's not do this again. It wasn't God getting me or God chastising. Again, how does God work today? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect. What is that? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. See? Who are these guys? I mean, if you think about this, and it's kind of why I'm stressing it a little bit more and saying people get all wound up. God's got to get them. No, God has already gotten them. It's called Calvary. See? Paul, again, he never... God still loves you the same. He never loves you less. He lo- but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for. He loves you. He's never li- loving you any less or any more. He j- it's right there. Chapter 3, verse 3, who are they? For ye are yet carnal. But yet, what did he call them in chapter 1, verse 2? Sanctified. And saints. So it is possible to be sanctified and carnal. And that's the problem. That's the problem in Corinth. That's the problem in Galatia. That's the problem in the modern day church today. What are they're sanctified, they're in Christ, but they're what? They're carnal. They're living in the flesh. They're doing it my way. And, and I'll be honest with you, you guys know the seven things that God hates the most and list in Proverbs? You know what the first one on that list is? Pride. There's more prideful people in church than anywhere else in the world because it's, look at me, look at, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And when you think about that, it's like, whoa, what got Satan, what got Lucifer kicked out? Pride. Pride got him. By the way, you know what the middle letter of pride is? I. Me, 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 me. Where's your problem? Contention cometh. uh, I just had the verse. Isn't that crazy? Proverbs 13, verse 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but the well-advised is wisdom. That's what are we doing here in Corinth? By the way, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you know why they didn't kick the guy out from, for the, the, the sinful, the sexual sins and so forth there? Pride. They were going to be more gracious than the other churches. And Paul says, that's not how this works. You kick him out. There's a turning over to the flesh. There's a, there's a, there's a reaping what he sowed. Break that fellowship. You have to. Why? He's got to understand what he did's wrong. Why? Because at Corinth, what were they telling him? It's okay. You're just in your flesh. Come over here. And, and they're smoothing it out. And, it's, and Paul comes in there heavy-handed, kick the dude out. And everybody goes, oh, oh, that's just ungracious. No, it is gracious. Because what are you doing? You're setting that stage so they can rescue themselves out of that. You see? In the world, they call it tough love. 
It ain't tough love. It's right love. It's what needs to be done. See, what is Paul doing here? Hey, it's possible that you're a sanctified, you're a saint, and you're sinning over here. You're living in gross immorality. Come over to Ephesians chapter 4. Just in case you don't think it can happen to you because you're more holy than the Corinthians. You know, you get that holier than thou. Well, I'm not a Corinthian. I don't do, never do that. Well, what about at the great church at Ephesus that Paul spent years at where he delivered this advanced book of doctrine, the next level? Look at Ephesians 4.17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye, you guys there at Ephesus, Henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. Woo! What's happening at Ephesus? Some of them are doing what? They're going the way of the Corinthians. Could you imagine... You get this wonderful book of advanced doctrine. You've got several years of the Apostle Paul working in your midst. And as soon as he's gone, you come over here and, and go right back to living the way you were. Not everybody, but some of them. That's why in chapter 1, when he introduces Ephesians, there's two classes of people there in that verse. One, he says, to the saints which are in Ephesus and to the faithful. Why? Because everybody at Ephesus is a saint, because that's who they are, but not everybody's being faithful. Some of them have been tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Some have gone back and forsaken me and loving the world, as he says of demons. Come back to 1 Corinthians. <laughs> it's a, can you tell? It's a little sore spot. Why? Because we get this idea in modern-day stupidity. I didn't say Christianity but in stupidity, trying to love everybody. You can't love everybody. You can't do that because not everybody, sometimes they need to be looked at and said, shut up, you're grow up and get back in line, right? Let's get going. here." And that's what Paul's going to be doing here. See, But he starts with, you're sanctified. Let's get the position, the standing, and get your lifestyle, your state right back together. Because you're not. And I know what the Corinthians do. Yes, I am. You, you, know how, you know why I know the Corinthians say that? Because you say that. Oh, I'm good. No, you're not. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, I would never do that. Yes, you are. <laughs> you're, you're, you're intruding into things that don't, you don't belong in. Why? Because you're messed up and you've got to fix you first. Look at chapter 7. So just thinking about sanctified here. Just notice... What he, chapter 7, he starts answering their questions, and the first issue that he comes out with and deals with is the issue of marriage. In verse 14, we just, now we're just jumping in. We'll spend months and years on chapter 7 because of the marriage thing, issues and so forth. I'm not really years, but at least, at least a couple weeks, okay? Uh, it's a very, it's 40 verses, so... We go a verse a week, that's 40 days. So in the wilderness, here we come, okay? <laughs> I think of, I don't know. Anyway, look at verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, 
and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were her children unclean, but now are they holy. You see that? You see how he uses sanctified and holy there? This, when he says that the unbeliever is sanctified by the believer, that isn't saying that that unbeliever is going to heaven. Because a, a belief, how does a belief, how does how does an unbeliever go to heaven? By believing the gospel, not by staying in a marriage. See, but my what I want you to say this again. I know people use this. Well, you're an unbelieving wife. You, you know, two unbelievers, and then they get married, and then one becomes a believer, and the other one rejects. And now, what do you do? Well, you hold on because it's going to be a rocky road. It's going to be a rough hoe here for a little bit. And you got to stay the course because you never know what's going to happen. But what I want you to see is that sanctification issue has nothing to do with justification. Sanctification comes because someone in the situation here is justified. They're a believer. But what I want you to notice is what are the children then called? Holy. Now, the children aren't going to heaven either unless they what? Believe the gospel. So this issue of sanctify, to be sanctified comes with that idea of being holy, clean, washed. Because if not, then what are the children? They're unclean. But if the, sancti- if the believer sticks in with the marriage and, and, and gives it a good work at to go and it's working and it's moving, we used to have a family here with us. And this, this, we were back on baseline. Actually, we were in our living room. Uh, so that's La Quinta. And wife, was mar- hu- ma- uh, uh, wife and a husband married. She's saved. He's unsaved. She asked me, what do I do? And I said, well, <laughs> you know, they got two, two, you know, two kids, grown adults, children. What do we do? And I said, well, you stick it out. You've sticked it out so far. He doesn't stop you from coming to church. He doesn't stop you. And, and I met the husband, nicest guy as ever. And he said, and he probably was a saved man, all honesty with you. But I, I don't know. You know, you ask the questions and you get the him and haw and around and so forth. And that's just the indication of, of his comfortability with talking to you because he was a very quiet guy. And he says, my only requirement of her is that she's home by 1230 and lunch is ready by quarter till. And I'm like, well, can you do that? She goes, yeah, I can do it all day long. I said, then, then that's what you do. And she goes, well, what about this? What, what about this? I said, that the passage is not talking about justification. It's talking about sanctifying, cleaning up, keeping clean that marriage, and thus the family. Come, over to, come back to chapter 6. So the issue when you're thinking about sanctification, don't instantly think justification. Okay? Now, you're sanctified because you are justified. But sanctification is the next step. Look at verse, uh, chapter 6 here, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Look at all. That's the pagan. That's the heathen. The list. That's heathen. How do you know? Verse 11. But, I'm sorry, and such were... Some of you. That's your old lifestyle, Corinthians. That's who you were. 
That's not your position. That's not your standing. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, what Paul's doing here when he talks about justification, I'm sorry, sanctification, and, and he says, listen, guys, that, that back there, verse 9 and 10, that's your old lifestyle. That's your old position. That's not who you are. Who are you? You're washed. You're sanctified. You're cleaned up. And what God did was he took that filthy identity, verse 9 and 10, that time-past identity, and he cleaned it up. He washed it away. He came in and he said, by the way, in verse 9 and 10, you are not usable by God. In verse 11, now you're usable. In verse 9 and 10, that's unprofitable, no value, worthless. Now you're valuable. Now you have worth. Now you're usable. And that's literally what Paul is going to drive at. Come over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. He's going to drive here in, in the book of Corinthians. Your standing, is not, your state, your lifestyle, your living does not match your standing and who you are. And I'll be honest with you, while, while a lot of us don't do a lot of that list, you know, I think about in Galatians, we were talking yesterday at the Men's Fellowship about Galatians 5 and the, the works of the flesh are these, and witchcraft is in there. Now, I don't think a lot of us do witchcraft, okay? <laughs> Maybe you do. I don't know. you got a little secret closet somewhere. That's your business, okay? But the thing of it is, is we tend to get into some of those that, in that list, covetousness, you know, and we got to be careful with that. 1 Timothy 1, just look here at verse number, verse number 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, uh, uh, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars. Look at liars. You know, Paul tells you and I to be honest with all men. Well, you know, I just had a little white lie. There ain't no white lie. You're a liar. That's what you are. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, you see, there they are. That's what's happening here. But who are you? You're cleaned up. See, come over to Titus chapter two. You're cleaned up. You're you're he's washed away that old identity. That's why Paul will say, "Put off the old man, which is crucified with and the de with his deeds. Put on the new man, that's been renewed in the image of him that created." Put. Put off, put on. Get rid of that old lifestyle. You don't live that way. Oh, but Rick, it's just one drink. It's okay. No, it's not okay. See, I think one of the biggest things that hits not, not just us, but every, not just the world out there, but us too, is, oh, one beer is okay. No, it's not. I'm sorry. Why? 
Well, why isn't that? Not because you're going to lose something, because, but because of what it leads to. I can remember when they first were going to legalize marijuana. You guys remember that? I do. And I kept hearing this issue about and something I never heard before because I don't travel in those realms. Gateway. Gateway drug. And I'm like, what in the world is a gateway? Do you know that beer is a gateway alcohol? Because it doesn't always get rid of the whatever you're trying. By the way, the next day, whatever issue you were trying to drink away, it's still there. But it's a gateway. But a gateway how? It allows you to excuse it away. And I'm talking to you guys, believers. I'm not talking to the lost. By the way, you know what? The lost know that. Why do you think Bud Light, when they ran that commercial and did all that stupid stuff, went in the tank? So that wasn't believers canceling it. That was the world canceling them. See? You see, so when you get into this, don't get, well, I would never be in witchcraft. or co-. No, but you go over there and take a drink and, and be okay with it. And it's not okay. Well, I'm living under grace. Yeah, but grace holds you accountable, says you're, you can't act like that. You're not supposed to act like It doesn't say you lose anything. It says you ought to be better than that. You got Titus 2. Look at verse 14. Notice this. Why should I be better? Because I'm sanctified. I'm called to be a saint. Verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Wow. Iniquity. Iniquity is a very specific sin realm of sin. And it has to do with being a participant of the satanic policy of evil. Because the first time iniquity is associated with sin is with the fall of Lucifer. In Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. See. And iniquity, when you come over here and you excuse away, you know what you're really participating in? The course of this world. And you're the, well, what's he going to say here? He's redeemed us from all iniquity and purify unto himself. Purify, sanctify, clean them up, wash them. Wash them, wax them, buff them up. They're his. They're a, unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I love that peculiar people. You're an oddball. You know why you're an oddball? Because you don't go to the bar to have a drink with the guys or the ladies. Most dangerous thing I ever heard was girls' night out. You know how ridiculous that sounds for believers? Oh, no, we got girls' night out. We're going to happy hour. What? Oh, but we're going to talk to them about getting saved. No, you're not. You're going to be so drunk that you're going to need an Uber to get home. Silence in the room. You know, it's, come on, well, you're not thinking, well, I just want to go so one on. No, <laughs> you're peculiar. We possess traits, we possess characteristics that no one else possesses because we belong to him. We're in Christ. What has he done, Romans 6? This old man is what? Crucified. Done. It's dead. Remember the Galatians, oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? And you look at that bewitching, and it runs back to the 
the uh, 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 witch of Endor with Saul, and Saul tricks her. And, well, it really doesn't trick her. She knows who he is, but does it anyway with the threat of, of him beheading her. And he, he raises Samuel. But you know, remember the, the, the law for Israel was you don't mess with the dead, the necromancy, you don't do that. And what I declare to be dead is dead. What are they doing in Galatians? They're resurrecting the law. Why? God's killed the law. Handwriting when ordinances have been nailed, been removed. It's done. Don't resurrect the law. And yet, what are they doing? You're peculiar people here. You know what? We belong to him. See? We don't belong to the course of this world. We're peculiar. We're sanctified. We're purified. We're cleansed. And as we live here on planet Earth, we are to live as peculiar, as sanctified, as clean, washed vessels in a very wicked world. So when people see you coming, you know what they ought to say? Here comes the oddball. Not, oh, good, she'll pick the tab up today. That means you've done it, and you shouldn't be doing it. And that's what Paul's going to get with the Corinthians. Don't do it anymore. By the way, do you know how to... You're in Titus 2. You see verse 12, teaching us, and this will be the grace of God, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, isn't that interesting? You can deny it. You can stop, deny, stop. You can do it. You just choose not to do it. The choice is yours. That's what 2 Corinthians 5, he says, listen, Look, look, look over there at 2 Corinthians. Hold on to Titus. 2 Corinthians 5. And again, I realize in the room I'm probably preaching to the choir. At least I hope I am. <laughs> but to those that are online and later that see it, maybe they need this. 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge. Judge there to think, to discern. What does a judge do in a court case? Here's the facts and discerns, judges, makes a determination based on facts and based on the law, based on testimony and so forth. What do we thus judge? That if one died for all, then we're all dead. Do we understand? Yes, we, we think that way. They're all dead in the sins. And that he died for all, that they which live, here it is, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. What a way to think about lifestyle. That's what he's going to get at with the Corinthians. I'll come back to Titus. I mean, if you think about this, about peculiar, purified, sanctified, washed, cleaned up. I heard this. I wrote it down. I forgot to write down who said it in my note, so... I'll give credit to that wonderful author called Anonymous, okay? He's, the, the quote was said, we have the privilege of representing the culture of heaven here in the ghetto of humanity. That's who you are when you're what? When your state lifestyle matches your position. We have the wonderful privilege of representing the culture of heaven. You're a peculiar, you're an oddball, you're funny looking. 
okay, here in the ghetto of humanity. That's a startling thing to come to understand. Yet what do we tend to do? We tend to adopt a culture that we live in, which is what's happening at Corinth. They've allowed the human wisdom, the human viewpoint, the philosophies of the day to come in and to win over God's wisdom. Those first four chapters, we're going to get into it. You're in Titus chapter 3, look at verse 4. But after that, the kindness... By by the way, if you look back up at verse 3, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, lying in malice, envying, hateful, and hating one another. You should never boast about your old life. That old lifestyle, your sinful life before Calvary, you should never boast about that because all of that is what hung him on the tree. You should be embarrassed by it. When somebody asks you, give me your testimony, you should never go back and and play out all of your old lifestyle. Your testimony ought to be as, well, one day I found Calvary and trust and then, and then go from Calvary. You see, your life starts in the graveyard. It starts at Calvary. That's where it starts. Not back there. So you don't brag about that. And that's what, Titus, that's what Paul's getting out here with Titus, verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Here's the mechanism of sanctification. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Again, this doesn't come by our activity, by us doing anything. See? But according to his mercy, he saved us. Now watch. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Not water baptism, By the way, water baptism would be a work of righteousness, according to Peter in Acts 10. Paul says, not by works of righteousness. No activity on your part. It's his mercy. It's his grace. What did he do? He saved us. And then what did he do? He washed us up. He cleaned cleaned us up, verse 6, which he shed, the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Think about that which he shed. This isn't Keith's shed out back that he built. Shed. When you cry, you shed a tear, don't you? You shed a piece of you. Think about that. Think about what he's doing here. He's giving you a piece of him. He's, he's coming along and he's, he comes over and he says, hey, This isn't about you. You were worthless. You were of no value. You were not usable. And then you came to Calvary, and because you trusted my son, my mercy, his mercy, he saved us. Now what did I do? Now I shed. I gave you a piece of me. By the way, it's all three members of the Godhead here. This this power, this peculiar, belongs to you because of who you are in me. At Corinth, God did wash them. 
He did purify them. They are his. Come back to 1 Corinthians 1. Yet what did they go and do? They got on Facebook and said, Woo, we're living for Christ. Come up here to the party at happy hour tonight. Really? They, be, they just kept on living in their old lifestyle. We're going to do it our way. What is My way, Elvis. We're going to do it my way. You know, Frank Sinatra. No. They're living a life that doesn't reflect all that God is doing in and through them. So are they sanctified? Yes. Are they washed? Are they clean? Are they purified? Are they peculiar? Yes, that's your position. Go live in that position now. You see, they weren't doing that. They were off. And then he says, called to be a saint. Again, that family name. That family identity. Come, come over to Ephesians 5. We'll get these two and then we'll pick up here. Ephesians 5. You see, that family name, so then there's a family way of living, a lifestyle. You, I don't, you guys, you know, the mob, the mafia, the families, the five families, this and that and all that stuff that's out there in the world. And, you know, and they go, we don't do that. We don't attack the women. We don't do drugs. We, we just gamble and cheat and steal and beat up everybody. We just do the other, right? But we don't, why? Because that's a lifestyle they don't want to get involved in. Now, I'm just talking, trying to illustrate. That's the saint. There's a lifestyle you're to stay away from. There's a, that old lifestyle, that old, that old identity. It's been, it's, it's dead. Why are you resurrecting it up? I've declared your old man dead crucified the deeds thereof. It's dead. Why are you raising it up? Because I want it. I don't want to come over here and live godly and righteously. By the way, most people think living godly and righteously means you live a dull life. You know, my life has never been dull. It's been wonderful. Your life, Paul's life, same way. It's been wonderful. It's exciting to live godly. It really is. You know what? I can, still, I can still go to the ball game and enjoy the game. I can still go to a movie. You know what? But I'm not paying 10 bucks for a beer. First of all, 10 bucks is a lot of money. <laughs> I'll pay 950 for the Coke. <laughs> why? Because, well, first, I don't, I don't drink, so I wouldn't, why would I? But see, I'm not doing that because I'm more holier than now. It's because I've chosen to do what? Live godly in this present evil world. And you can do that. Call to be a saint. Look at Ephesians 5, just jumping in here, verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks... For this ye know, by the way, verse 4 is not talking about telling a joke. No jesting, no joke. It, it's, it's, that next, it's the next thing beyond the joke. It's an improper conversation. It's an improper joke, if you will. For ye, verse 5, for this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor 
covetous man who is an idolater hath an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Verse, oh, where's the other becometh the saints? Oh, it was just right there. I thought it was verse 5. Uh, verse 6. All right, well, let, into verse 3. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. All that sinful activity is not how a saint should be living. Verse 5, all of that activity. Verse 4, verse 3, all of that activity. It isn't consistent with who you are as the saint of the Most High God. So knock it off. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is going to develop this out in the corrective form of the corrective doctrine. Because what's happening is, is Corinth is thinking small, small thought, and Paul's trying to get them to say you're part of something bigger. You're a part of a family. If you look at verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. They're having a wrong view of who they are and where they're at. Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Wow. We're a part of a bigger family. But what's happened, because we are, there's a family way of living. There's a family lifestyle, a godly lifestyle to be lived. And Corinth, Corinth, you're not there. Your state, your living doesn't match up with who you are as being sanctified and as being a saint. So Paul is going to develop this out as we go through 1 Corinthians. Now, when you come back to verse 2, because we've got to quit, we didn't get the, the, the theirs and ours. We'll do that next time. But what God, God's design, he's designed the body to live as a family, literally united together, move, same, suffer, same, have, have all this interaction. And he designed it that way so that you, he can express what it is to be a saint, our family name and our family lifestyle. But it starts with you're sanctified, therefore now you're called to be a saint. And your conduct, your state, has to ma needs to match with standing. Now sometimes it gets off and we're going to get it back on. And that's literally what we're going to do here really in the rest of Corinthians is get that doctrine that gets you back on. Okay, And again, remember, Paul never threatens that they're losing anything. It's just... You're acting like the world and knock it off and come over here and act like who you are in Christ, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for the instructions here as we look at these things and as we examine ourselves against them, against your word, that we could say honestly and with a genuineness that we are that our standing and state are together.
and that we're rejoicing in who we are in your Son. In your name we pray. Amen.